Philip, thank you, and Kim, and Rachel, thank you. Philip, thank you as well for arranging that piece. And uh, for those of you in the congregation that may not be aware uh, that Philip put that together and presented it uh, to me a little earlier in honor of my first Christmas here as your pastor. And I will forever be grateful. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Psalm 142 and, and then Psalm 62, and I'll be reading some select verses uh, from each, starting at verse 1 from Psalm 142, and the words will be on the screen as well. I cry aloud to the Lord, I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy, I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand and no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Verse 5, I cry to you, Lord, I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. And then Psalm 62 Verses 5 through 8. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Advent season is a time of prayer and preparation for Christmas. We are preparing to celebrate the birth of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, whom we know as Messiah, the Anointed One, and Emmanuel, God with us. Today's the third part of a worship series called Come to Worship, a message series, where we're looking at four physical postures of worship. We've talked about lifting our hands to the Lord. We've talked about bringing our gifts to the Lord. Next Sunday, we'll focus on kneeling before the Lord, bowing our knees, and today our focus is pouring out our hearts to God, as you've heard read in the two Psalms this morning. Throughout Scripture, we find people pouring out their hearts to God, yes, in joy and joyful exclamations, rejoicing in the Lord, but also pouring out their 
hearts to God or crying out to God, the scriptures call this the laments. Maybe if you watched the Heisman Trophy ceremony last night on ESPN, you saw tailback from Alabama, Derek Henry, who received the Heisman Trophy, refer to God throughout his acceptance speech. And in today's uh, Times Dispatch, they quote him where he said to uh, the audience, he says, to all the kids who are watching, I hope I'm someone you can look up to. Don't be afraid to pray. Keep God first. If you, can, if you believe it, you can achieve it. And then toward the end of his speech, he said to his teammates, cry out to God in prayer. And I, that was refreshing to me to see a young man encouraging his fellow teammates and others to be honest with God to tell God what's going on, to pour out our hearts to God. Sometimes we're really good at the praise part, but we're not so good at being honest with God about what's going on in the depths of our soul. Perhaps today some of our scriptures will help us to be encouraged to pour out our hearts to God, that God has given us permission to lament. The God who created the universe cares about what's on your mind and what's on your heart. As I was reflecting on the scriptures in preparation for today, that word God is refuge really spoke to me, really stood out and it reminded me of a little sign that I often see when I go visit in the hospitals. Maybe you've seen them in other buildings, but on the stair landings as you're going up to a different floor in the hospital, the little sign will say, area of refuge, area of refuge. And I've seen that a lot, but in this week in particular, I thought, what does that really mean? Why is it there? So I called one of our church members who designs buildings. He's with an architectural firm, and I asked him about it, and he said that that's part of the building code. That section in the stairwell has a two-hour fire protection built within it. So they, in the hospital, if there's a fire or if some other problem is happening, they can take patients in their wheelchairs and wheel them into the area of refuge where they can then wait until first responders are able to arrive. So the area of refuge in those stairwells, other buildings, schools and such, is a safe place. Think about that word, safe place. God's house is to be a safe place. I believe that this room is an area of refuge. If God is our refuge, then when we come here, this should be a safe place. You should not be afraid. You should not be afraid about what people say or think about you or maybe what you might share with God as you are worshiping and speaking to God personally. There's something special about coming into the house of the Lord, the sanctuary on a Sunday, especially during this season of the year when we have all of the decorum around us. It reminds us of the presence of God. We know that God is not a building. We know the church is not a building. But there's something special that happens when we come to the sanctuary, the safe place, an area of refuge for all people. This concept 
is even found in the Old Testament scriptures back in the book of Numbers and uh, chapter 35 and Joshua 20. If you remember when the promised land was divided up according to the tribes of Israel, there were some cities that were given to the Levites, the people who took care of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the sanctuary of God. And then within those uh, cities that were the Levites, there were six cities called cities of refuge. And those were places where people who were charged of a crime uh, could go to to await a fair trial. It was as if someone was fleeing persecution, trying to find a safe place, and God set aside these cities that they would come and have protection until they received their fair trial. In the Middle Ages, some churches were known as areas of refuge, safe places for people in the same way. They found their way to the cathedral, and they were able to have protection. The priest would help them to find that protection until they were able to receive the trial, and, and then they would move on with their life. Before the American Civil War, many churches provided sanctuary, a safe place for fugitive slaves who escaped bondage via the Underground Railroad. The Underground Railroad, as you know, was a network of churches and individuals and other entities that were along the, the route to states that were free or to Canada. And one of the churches in Ontario that's still in uh, active worshiping practice today is called the Sandwich First Baptist Church in Ontario, Canada. And it was a terminal along the Underground Railroad. The church's history reports, following the passage of the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 in America, slave catchers could then venture into Canada in attempts to capture fugitive slaves and claim their bounty. In the event that a slave catcher would arrive in the church, a rehearsed plan would go into effect. It is said that the pastor would raise alarm by leading the singing of predetermined hymns such as... <coughs> Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Or I'll fly away to glory. Fugitives would then escape via a trap door in the church floor while the congregation created a diversion. Sandwich First Baptist Church was an area of refuge. It was a sanctuary. It was a safe place. It was a place that helped people who were seeking to be free. And then we remember what Jesus said in John 8, 32. Then you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If God is our refuge and in Christ we are free, then this sanctuary is an area of refuge for all who come. It should be a safe place where we come to worship, to love and be loved and to know and be known. Chuck Poole is the pastor of the Northminster Baptist Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Formerly, he served at First Baptist Macon, Georgia, and he's written a neat little book called Don't Cry Past Tuesday. And he writes in his book that one time a fellow clergy in his community asked him why so many transient people came to FBC Macon to receive assistance to get help. Why do so many hungry, troubled souls seem to find their way to the old first church? Dr. Poole responded, 
It might be because of the number of unemployed people traveling the interstate highways in search of work and in need of help. Our church sits on a high, high hill, and you can see the twin towers from the interstate. So I guess some of them just come because of the steeple. Some of you are here today because of the steeple. Dr. Poole writes, I've been thinking about the way people come to the steeples and what they long to find beneath the steeples in the house of God. Sometimes they come hungry to the steeples. Sometimes they come homeless to the steeples. Sometimes they come happy to the steeples. Sometimes they come nonchalantly to the steeples. Sometimes they come routinely to the steeples. Sometimes we come limping to the steeples. Sometimes we come skipping to the steeples. Sometimes lonely to the steeples. Sometimes angry and depressed and bewildered to the steeples. Other times weary and disappointed And at other times, afraid when we come to the steeples. People come to the steeple because there's a sanctuary at the bottom, a safe place. We've been in Richmond since 1995, our family. And over the years, our family has driven by Huguenot Road Baptist Church lots of times for various reasons. When we were expecting Isabella, there was a store called Baby USA, I think, just down there near the mall, and that's where we got her nursery furniture. So other reasons we would come, and I saw this church. I've went to some conferences here over the years, but I will never forget the first time that I came to this church as the candidate for your pastor. And I saw the steeple with what I understand is a nine-foot cross up on top. And I said to God, God, never let me forget this steeple. Help me to have a spirit of reverence whenever I approach this steeple. So I have trained myself every time I come to the parking lot of our church um, to focus on the steeple. So if you see me get out of my car and I'm looking up at like, sky for some reason. It's not falling, the sky. It's I'm looking at the beautiful steeple that reminds me of the people who are in this church and reminds me of the magnificence and of God. I want to keep my eyes on the steeple. Church, ar- church architecture says a lot about a church And if you remember some of your church history, you know that many of the cathedrals have ceilings which are designed as the upside-down hull of a ship. And they are designed that way because it symbolizes the church as a ship that is tossed about by the wind and waves of earthly trouble, yet piloted by God. The sanctuary in cathedrals and churches uh, is known as the nave, N-A-V-E, nave, where we get our word navy. And it's from the, the Latin root. 
and it's the room of the people. This is the room of the people, and it should be a safe place. And Dr. Poole says this should be a place where we come to find rest and healing, where we could start again, where we can voice our fears and confess our sins and cry out to God and ask questions and accept His grace. And we are shaped and healed by the rituals we keep, the people we see, the hymns we sing, the prayers we raise, and even in the sermon we hear. We come to the sanctuary yearning for God as our refuge. And under the steeple is a sanctuary, and in the sanctuary is a pulpit, and behind the pulpit is a preacher, and the preacher is preaching the grace and hope and joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is our refuge. And if you're taking notes, God is our refuge, and because he is our refuge, we have permission to pour out our hearts to God. This is an act, a posture of worship. I'm glad that we can come to the sanctuary. As we pour out our hearts to God, here are a few things that may help you as you journey over these next several weeks through the Advent and Christmas season. First, remember God's faithfulness in the past. What God has done before, God will do again. Remember God's faithfulness in the past. In Psalm 42, David, we believe, is writing as he reflected on fleeing from Absalom. And he knew the need for a safe haven. He knew the need for freedom and peace from a never-ending fear. And in Psalm 42, the, the scripture says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My, thirst, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. So you remember God's activity in the past like David's doing. How I used to go to the house of God under protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And then Jeremiah, we know him as the weeping prophet. He really struggled with some significant emotional issues, even depression. And uh, he had been arrested and persecuted and imprisoned and betrayed. And pen these words in the book of Lamentations that we know so well from the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind. I'm remembering God's faithfulness in the past. This I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Trust in God's faithfulness in the past. And then we can think about God's power in the future. To trust in his power in the future. And there, there are three words in Psalm 102 
that I want us to end on today. Psalm 102, verse 12, and then verse 16. And I'll give you the three words. Verse 12, but you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations, for the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. And the three words in verse 12 are, but you, Lord. But you, Lord. All of this has happened. All of this has occurred in my life. This is what I'm feeling. But you, Lord. But you, Lord. The first 11 verses of this psalm express lament and a very dark and joyless outlook on life. But the writer is helping us to see the hope and the joy that come when we relinquish control of all of our fears over to God and live within the promises of our good God. Verse 11 says, my days are like the evening shadow. But in the very next verse, the psalmist says, but you, Lord. If we are honest with God, we can give him, we can pour out our hearts to him and give him all of our worries and troubles and try to push through whatever it is in front of, of us. Be reminded that he will not harm us, but his plans are for us to be to prosper and to have a hope and a future. But and then we, we can claim, but you, Lord, this is what you're going to do in the future. Maybe you've lost someone and it deeply hurts, but you, Lord, will never leave me nor forsake me. There are financial hardships, but you, Lord, are my provider. Others have rejected me, but you, Lord, love me. There is sickness, but you, Lord, are my healer. Our marriage is not what it once was, but you, Lord, can bring hope and help us to reclaim the joy that we once had. A young person is brokenhearted because there's been a breakup or somebody has been unkind, but you, Lord, are close to the brokenhearted. Someone feels lonely and depressed and anxious, but with you, Lord, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. But you, Lord. But you, Lord, helps us to be determined to live by faith and not by fear. Luke 1.30, the angel said to Mary, do not be afraid. Matthew 1.20, the angel said to Joseph, do not be afraid. Luke 2.10, the angel said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. When we trust in our fears, we're placing our faith in the wrong things. When we allow political rhetoric and fear mongers to cause us to trust less in God and more in what they are saying. We are living by fear and not by faith. And I submit that we must, as Christian people, remember that God is our refuge and that we are to trust God and that we are to live by faith and not be dictated by fear. There's all of this in the news about refugees and if you remember just a few months back when that refugee family who are Muslims came to the clinic and we served them just like we served anybody else. That's the image that I have in mind. And I know that there are safeguards and I understand that there have to be controls and all of that. But I will not allow myself to be 
controlled by fear. I, I desire to have faith in God who is my refuge. Because God is my refuge, I too am a refugee. Can we place our trust in the God who says, fear not? Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because God is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I pray that as we leave today, we will say, but you, Lord, this is how, this is what I'm feeling, but you.